0: Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers and I'll be giving the message today out of the book of Revelation as we are continuing our verse-by-verse study through this amazing and exciting book. I'll give you the context for today as we uh, look at the scriptures and I invite you to open up uh, your copy of the Word of God to follow along if you choose and, and to even follow along as I read these verses for you is found in Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. The Word of God reads, beginning in verse 11, And I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. And he exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. And he performs great signs, so that it even makes so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of these signs. Now I want to stop right there because I want to get into this this particular section because it is such an important section of the, of the Book of Revelation. We are looking at what the Bible calls the false prophet, and this false prophet will come along. As the greatest preacher, I think the greatest false preacher the world has ever heard. And I know there have been some very powerful false prophets, false teachers. But this is going to be one that will be, I guess, the final false prophet during the time, just before Christ comes. Um, We're looking at this man as a, as a, a deceiver. We're looking at this man as... Uh, so much uh, convincing the world to worship the Antichrist, that it's it's worthy of taking uh, the time to stop and look at this. Uh, The uh, description of this individual and what he will do is, basically, he's going to be the most persuasive, the most powerful, the most moving, the most convincing communicator ever. In fact, I think in most ways he will probably be able to communicate better Than the Antichrist himself. You can believe this as a fact that Satan would not finish out his last effort with anything less than his greatest effort. And so I think he becomes a figure for us that's worthy of our attention. You see, whether we understand it or not, or whether we can say it exactly like this, but many have said it, and I I agree with this, that Satan is a master counterfeiter. He is imitating. He is the best that he can, and it's by far not even close. But Satan is counterfeiting uh, the the God the Father in his role. That's what he is, and we know that the lost, those without Christ, these unbelievers, the Bible says in John chapter 8, that you are of your father, the devil. And so he is actually in the role of God the Father. Now, the Antichrist is a, a counterfeit of God the Son. In fact, he is impersonating, uh, making the world try to believe that he is the Savior or the coming Messiah. He is a false Christ. He is an anti-Christ. Now, the false prophet, this one that we're studying now, is a counterfeit of God the Holy Spirit. He is called alongside to convince the world to worship the prophet antichrist, which is what one of the roles is of the Holy Spirit that's inside of us, is to draw attention and to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's what this role is an imitation of. He's trying to imitate that role. So we see a counterfeit of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, you and I both know he can't really imitate those, but this is what his best and last effort is. Now, the second beast is called the false prophet. And I mentioned last week that he's called the false prophet, not because somebody just decided to name him that, but because of the book of Revelation itself, found in Revelation chapter 16, Revelation 19, and Revelation 20. In all three of those scriptures, he is identified as the false prophet. His purpose is to direct the attention of the world towards the Antichrist and cause the world to, to worship him, and that's why last week I entitled the message uh, "The Evil Worship Leader" because he is a leader and he is in charge of the world as far as the religious aspect of it. So today we're going to drive or dive deeper into this by looking at Revelation chapter thirteen verses eleven through fourteen. And the reason that I've slowed it down some is because we need to have an understanding of this. at least as much of an understanding as we can to this because it's going to help make Revelation chapter 17 a little more clearer or easier to understand. And Revelation chapter 17 uh, is clear that a worldwide form of universal religion is going to take shape in the end time. Uh, If we were to have time right now to dive into Revelation chapter 17, we could see it. But you will see, when we get there, a worldwide system of religion being very clearly defined. Uh, And then at the end of that, something uh, amazing is going to happen that uh, is going to be hard to understand, but it is going to happen, and we'll need to understand that. But uh, coming alongside the political system, military system of the world, led by the Antichrist, is going to be his or this false religious system. <clears throat> and so they coincide together, working together, until it gets to what I think is actually the first or the second half of the tribulation period where the world will change. In other words, they will coexist for a while during the first half and maybe even just days into the second half. But it's going to be very important to understand this chapter in 13, so that when we get to 17, we will understand exactly what's happening. Uh, but it's going to happen and it's going to, they're going to coexist. Uh, but the false religious system in which we see in chapter 17 is going to be destroyed by the Antichrist political and military strength. That's going to be an interesting time. But God wants them to not be two, but to be one. So the Antichrist rises up and will destroy the false religious system. Now here in this chapter, we're going to see them coexisting and actually working very close to one another. But at the end, it's not going to be like that. So they will have a common purpose. They give over their kingdom to the beast. So in the end, the only world religion, this is important to note, none of this is going to be uh, the actual end result. This is all leading to the end result. Chapter 13 is so important. Do you understand that in the end, the Antichrist rises up, destroys the false religious system, and they will and, and will work towards turning the world to complete, full worship of the Antichrist. Uh, It's not going to start out that way. The world religious system will develop around some other mystical, supernatural, concocted, demonic system that will pull the world together. They will worship in a way that is not yet the worship of the Antichrist until some point when the Antichrist rises up, destroys that system, and makes the whole world worship him. So that's where this is all headed. And chapter 13 lays out the groundwork to understanding that. It's hard to imagine that the whole world would embrace this one world leader that Revelation 13.1 says is a beast coming up out of, the, out of the sea, out of the Gentile world. He's going to be a Gentile, and the world's going to listen. They're going to believe him. They're going to believe everything probably he says. And then he's going to have a fake Resurrection Uh, in some way, we don't know what it is. Uh, Of course, it doesn't say the word fake in Revelation uh, 13, chapter 3, but uh, it does use interesting language. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. Now, we don't know what that is, but this chapter. Is is bringing that out, and then this section that we're in today is going to emphasize it even again. So I want to get right into the outline. I've got just a few points today to get to. Number one, I want to look at his profile, and we began looking at this last week. His profile is, is mentioned here as a look at look at what it says in verse eleven. I saw another beast coming up out of the. Out of the earth. This one's coming up out of the earth not to see, but the word another as we mentioned last week is it's another of the same kind. Uh, clearly the first beast was a person and so this being another of the same kind, even though he's called a beast like the first beast was called a beast, which literally meant an animal or another wild beast, it's clearly referring to a person making another of the same kind here a person like the first beast was. Uh, there are personal designations here. So the profile begins to take shape that this is clearly a person. I've been saying very clever, powerful, persuasive, captivating, charming. Some would even call him a genius who is a demonic or demon-inspired, demon-empowered. the combination of the powers of hell and the powers of his own human talent will cause him to be convincing. So his profile is rather disturbing as we look at this and get into this section. But he comes up out of the earth. Uh, I really don't put too much into that. I know some have said because of that there is a relation here that possibly he's a Jew. I don't see there any way in leading to that. I just think that this is another way of saying he comes up. And I think this actually could be referring to out of the very center of the earth uh, symbolizing perhaps, again, demonic activity involved in this person. He's not going to be as terrorizing as the Antichrist because the second thing about his profile is, is look at what it says in verse 11. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Two horns. Whether the two horns uh, are, are really, I think, presented to us. Uh, he's going to be powerfully deceptive, but I do think it's, it means he doesn't have quite the intimidation Or the power as the Antichrist, but will be just about as deceptive as the Antichrist. He doesn't come like him, but the Antichrist comes fierce like a leopard, a bear, a a lion, it said. But here is more of a subtle appearance of this beast. A gentle lamb is kind of referring to here. Two horns like a lamb. And I think the two horns symbolize a power. He does have power. But the point of the description, I believe, is to show a very subtle of subtleness of his approach. He doesn't come as a on the scene, blasting and, and, and devastating like the, the Antichrist says. He comes as a deceiver. He comes as a false lamb. He comes appearing to be gentle. He comes wanting to comfort and with a certain kind of tenderness. You almost read that into the scripture. But then there is something else about this. Uh, that, that I think is very important. And that number one is his profile, and I'll leave uh, his profile to just the image that he gives us here uh, of a beast, another of the same kind, a, a person. He is a human being and a man. And then uh, his horns, he is going to be a deceiver. He is going to uh, display a, a counterfeit uh, a, a, a imitation, as we have said, of the Holy Spirit. It's the masterpiece of this religious deception the counterfeit of the true lamb, but when he opens his mouth, that leads me to number two, his poison. Number one is his profile, number two is his poison, and his poison is when he opens his mouth. Because it says here, when he opens his mouth, it says he spake, or spoke as a dragon. And so his poison, I think, is when he speaks. Well, you, you get to thinking, well, what he doesn't really lay out much about the speech, what is it about his speech? Is it his pronunciation of words? No. Is it his dialogue? Is it his expression? His passion? Is it the language he's speaking? Is it the tone or the the accent or the uh, dialect? Any of these things. It could be. But I think that he spoke as a dragon, meaning I think his words and his demeanor, everything behind him revealed that he was not that gentle lamb, that he is, as as the scripture says, he spoke as a dragon. Well, we remember now, the strange voice from the lamb is this mouth that is speaking, and it is Satan's mouthpiece. That's why he speaks like a dragon. When he opens his mouth, whose words come out? satan's words come out and that is his poison that is what he is shooting at the people are his words words matter and in this case we see a difference of his voice and you know i can remember reading so much about in preparation of this of of adolf hitler they said that when he got up to speak that many said it didn't even sound like him. He was he was just different. He, he was very commanding, and his voice did not sound like his voice. And I think one of the reasons there is that I think he was completely controlled by hellish powers. When he spoke, it was the voice of the dragon then. And I think when this one with two horns like a lamb speaks, even though he is going to have the the appearance of gentle and comfort, I think it is going to be the voice of the dragon because it says it is. It is the voice of Satan himself. Now, I want to rem- I want to remember something, that false prophets are not like Antichrist. They don't come blaspheming God. They come deceptively working with people to deceive them, to deceive them into whatever their other purpose is. They come looking like lambs, but when they speak... Well, that gives them away. When they speak, they speak as the dragon. So Satan's false prophets, and we've seen, I mean, they're they're around today. But this will be the final one. This will be the last one. But I want to say this. Satan's false prophets are the voices of hell. Even now, even today, they may appear meek, mild, lamb-like but they are the voices of hell. They may appear to be a gentle preacher, very kind, very gentle, or just a preacher who would come to solve the problems of men and women and and just give them the truth of God's word. But when they open their mouth, he gives them away. You see, verse 11 says, And he spoke as a dragon. The dragon talks, the dragon, remember now, according to what we have already looked at back in Revelation chapter 12, the dragon is none other than Satan himself. So, we see his profile is a beast, and he has two horns like a lamb, and his poison is his, number two, his poison is his mouth. He talks like the dragon. But number three is, I want you to notice his permission. The permission is found in verse 12. Look at this. And it's it's given to us like this. In verse 12 it says, uh, and I'm in verse 12 of chapter 13 of Revelation, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. Now, some people have suggested that it means he replaces the Antichrist. Well, that's ridiculous. He doesn't replace the Antichrist. But he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. That is, in the very presence of the Antichrist, he is there. He is alongside him, and he has worldwide influence, worldwide reputation. He will become known very quickly as a miracle worker and a great preacher. Maybe the greatest preacher who's ever lived, apart from those who would be the true preachers of the Word of God. (coughs) Excuse me, but when it says he has he exercises all the authority of the first beast. I think it's saying for us, he has permission. He has given permission. Now, where does that permission come from? Well, Satan has empowered him, and he has permission in that direction. But I want you to understand something. It's like when we heard saw, and we remember reading in, in, in say, the Gospel of John, when Jesus is standing before Pilate. And you you get to where they're having a a one-on-one conversation, Jesus and Pilate. And boy, I wish I could have been there. But Pilate is questioning him, and Jesus is answering him. Of course, I don't think Pilate liked any of the answers. Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me. You do not know that I have authority to release you, and I have authority to crucify you. Now listen to what Jesus said, how he answered that. Jesus said, Jesus said, In in, in John chapter 19, verse 11, Jesus said, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivers me up to you has the greater sin. Well, this authority that this false prophet has, just like the authority that the Antichrist has, comes from above it comes from heaven it comes from god himself and one of the hardest things and i understand it's hard is that god is 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 allowing the judgment of the world right now the the christians have been called out of the world there's still many people being saved and they're there but they are still being protected uh, to a certain point but they are they're guaranteed eternal life but the point is that this authority is is given to him as uh, it is given to the Antichrist because God is allowing his judgment to rule over the earth. In other words, people are being judged. The earth is being judged. And so God is actually using Satan and the host of demons as his executioners. And that is so, I know that is so difficult to understand, but we saw it in the Old Testament. Dozens of times, going into the promised land, God used the nation of Israel, told them to go in and slew, just wipe out these camps. Well, he was giving his permission to be the executioner for God's judgment upon those people. And that has confused people through the centuries to realize that God does this. God allows this to happen. Because let me tell you something. We can read in the book of Job. We can see it many times in the scripture. Satan could have no permission to do anything unless God grants it to him. We have to understand that God is the one that is sovereign here. Satan is not acting independent. And these demons are not acting independent. They have a permission, they have guidelines, they have a role to fill, even though they may not realize it. They are being used as God's executioners. So when it says here, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast, he has just as much authority as the first beast, and he has a lot of authority right now. It's as though God has pulled back and is allowing them to run their course any way they want to accomplish it. It's not a free will on their course, on their choice. They're free to do and work any way they want to to accomplish the very purpose of God. But it's God's purpose that's being accomplished here, not their own, even though it seems like their own. So this permission is being granted to them, and this permission is being used by them. They're taking advantage of this. So we see in this outline, we see his profile. We see his poison being his mouth opened. We see the permission he has the authority to do all that he is wanting to accomplish and is accomplishing. And then number four, I want you to notice his power. His power. Look at what verse 12 also says. He makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. Now, it says he makes... The, the Earth, by the way, do you see the little phrase in the middle he makes he makes, could be translated, and in fact should be translated. He causes it's used eight times of him. He causes this to happen eight times he causes this or he causes that. he causes this to happen. He has tremendous world influence now, besides his great personal influence and persuasive speaking and astounding leadership ability. His effort is aided by a massive apparent miracles, But the thing I want you to notice first is that he makes this to happen. And so it's not going to happen unless he makes it happen. But why does he make it happen and how does he make it happen? Well, number five in the outline is his performance. I want you to look at verse 13. And we'll come back to a little bit of 12. And he performs, you see there, there's the performance. He performs, in fact, this word is used almost like an actor. He's performing in front of the Antichrist and the world. And his performance is in order to accomplish a goal. He's performing something. And so what is it he's performing? It's an indication here that he is performing, and according to verse 11, he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship. How are you going to make the earth and all those who dwell in it to worship? Well, I want to stop right there and back up to verse 8. Look at what verse 8 says of of this same chapter. Remind you of this. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Who? Who is him? The Antichrist. Well, who's causing the world to worship him? It's the false prophet. It's the second beast that comes up. But look at what it says in verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. And then it qualifies that. I want you to notice the qualifier. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. So, when this in verse eight, Chapter 13, verse 12 says, He makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship. He doesn't mean every single person of the earth. Because verse 9 or verse 8 qualified it. He makes all unbelievers worship. He can't make those who are already believers. In fact... He can't make those who are going to be believers and are not yet believers to worship. Now, that is an amazing thing to say. You say, well, Pastor, how do you get that? Well, I get that from verse 8. Look at what it says again. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. But then he qualifies that. All who dwell on the earth. Well, is that all? Every single person or is that all referencing something else? Well that all actually references all unbelievers. Unbelievers then and will stay unbelievers. In other words, it doesn't mean in here's the, here's the hard point the hard thing to understand about this. It doesn't mean those that perhaps are unbelievers then, but yet they will be believers, say, in a month. It can't include them either. Why? Well, because it says whose names have not been written from the foundation of the world in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, when was... Think about this. This is this is so powerful to me, and, and, and something that I, I never saw in my younger days as a believer. How in the world, or when in the world, does my name get written in the Lamb's book of life? Is it when I trust Christ as my... Is I, When I pursue Christ as my Lord and Savior, and He becomes my Savior and my Lord, and I trust Him, is that when it's entered? Or not according to this. It's entered way before I ever became a believer. It's entered before I was born. It's entered before the world was created. Before the very foundations of the world. And that, my friend, is a very sobering thought. So when it says in verse 12, He makes... The earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, he's making unbelievers. He has no power and authority over those that will be saved and those who are saved. He definitely doesn't have any power over those who were saved and have already died. We know that would be obvious, right? But he also doesn't have any power over the church that has already gone into rapture. Well, that's obvious. But it also means he doesn't have any power over those that are not saved yet, but will be saved. There is where the confusion would come in. There is where Christians would objectify that. They would they would object to that, I mean. They would they would disqualify that statement that I just made and say it's inaccurate. Because I've had people say that to me. But it's not. It's very accurate. Sometimes we don't like the truth. Sometimes we don't want it to read that way because we have an opinion that contradicts it. But let me tell you something. His power. He's very powerful. And he will work to influence. He will work to do this. Well, how does he do it? Well, look at what it says. He performs. He's, he's performing here. These signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven. I think the, and the first thing that it, it, it mentions here is that he makes those who worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. That's the first thing right there. That's the first miracle. The world's going to believe it's a, it's a, it's a res- resurrection. Why are they going to believe that? Well, they're going to believe that because, I think of what, God, here again, it's what God is doing. In 2 Thessalonians, it says, With all the deception of wickedness and those who are perishing because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved, there was their unbelievers, for this reason God will send upon them a delusion so that they will believe what is false. You see that? A false belief. A belief in something that's not real thinking it's real. He is going to perform great signs. Uh, it, it says here, in addition to having the full authority of the Antichrist functioning right alongside of him, the Antichrist himself, he will perform great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven. Well, how in the world is he going to make fire come down out of heaven? Well, he's going to make fire come down out of heaven however way he can. Again, he's, he's being allowed to do this. The same phrase is used over and over again. He is counterfeiting Christ. He's performing great signs. In fact, we can look at those, uh, some of those and the way the the crowds respond uh, to all of the miracles, especially when you get to uh, the very first part of the Gospel of John in chapter 2 when he was doing all of these miracles. it says in John chapter 2, verse 23, And when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, beholding his signs. They were believing him, but only because he was doing the signs. And so what that really is saying is they believed he was doing the signs. It doesn't mean they were believing in him as the Lord, of the Savior, because look at what else it says. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. In other words, he knows their heart. He knows what's going on. So he knows that these were only believing that he could do the signs. And here you got the same kind of thing. You've got uh, the Antichrist through the, the, the false prophet is doing these signs, enticing the world, performing in front of the world in such a way as to lead the world into believing that this is all all true. And you think, well, why is he doing this? What is he actually imitating? He is imitating actually the work that's already being done. God has sent fire from heaven himself into judgment. Uh, The two witnesses brought fire down from heaven. And perhaps Satan, through the uh, false prophet, is showing that his fire is better than the fire from heaven that they've already seen. Mine is the real fire. Mine is the real miracle here. We don't know exactly what he's doing. But let me tell you, I've got to end it. My time is up. It goes so fast to me. In fact, I I was talking to somebody this week. They said that every time they get going, it seems like it's over. And uh, it is over. Uh, I could go way, way farther in this and longer, but it would be way too long. So, y'all, thank you uh, again for listening to another message of Hope for the Heart. And so for now, this is William Rogers. I'll be signing off, but I thank you. Continue reading the Word of God and studying Revelation 13. It is foundational for the truth of all that is going to be happening, happening during the tribulation period. So for now... Uh, I thank you for joining me. Have a great day.